Hello my friends and welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. On For today I'm just going to give you a short little review of a movie that I saw earlier in this year. Really loved when it was in the cinemas. I, re- I saw it quite late into its run. Really wished I'd been able to go see it again in the cinema. But it's coming out on streaming very soon. I think it's already available for digital rent and purchase. Uh, and I highly, highly recommend it. And that is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This episode and many others that will likely follow in the next coming months was recorded during the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA strike in America. Now, I just want to put a quick note at the beginning of this and any other um, episodes that are recorded during the strike just to say that while I will not be boycotting my channel or stopping content um, unless the unions call for it, I will be putting this on any new reviews or any new episodes. The items that I talk about would not exist without the talent behind them, whether that is writers, directors, producers, or actors. And especially, as you may have noticed in previous episodes, some of the things I talk about the most, uh, besides, you know, um, direction and theming, is writing and the character work. They tend to be, for me, some of the strongest things of all of these fictions and are the reasons why I'm interested in the fandoms that I am. I am interested because of the actors involved, because of the performances that they put out, because of the strength of the writing, how well it unifies the themes of the story, how well it gets everything across. And as a result, this channel and myself completely support both strikes. I want the um, actors, you know, regardless of any merit of their work, whether whether I think that a film is good or bad, is nothing compared to how well they should be paid for that work. They did a job, they should get the money. Not the people at the top, not the studio heads, not the shareholders. The people who made the product should get money for that product and as we are now in an age where a lot of things are being taken off of streaming services and removed wholesale from any form of digital marketplace the chance of residual streaming rights of things becoming cult hits and becoming um you know sensations decades down the line is beginning to vanish And I hope that these strikes manage to light the fire in Hollywood that changes things like that. This disclaimer will be on every episode published during the strike, as I've said, whether it is a long-form episode or a review. However, should you wish to skip it, it will be slightly under three minutes long, and you will be able to do that in the future. However, I hope you would agree with me that it is necessary in these times. Now, I just want to say, first of all, I mean, I've already spoken about Into the Spider-Verse before. Um, um, when I did my big Spider-Man retrospective um, in Series 3, I really, really love Spider-Verse. I thought the first film was 
absolutely amazing. I thought it did a fantastic job of balancing the concept of Spider-Verse, but in a way that it very definitely kept its focus on the main character of Miles Morales and really focused on him as Spider-Man and his development into Spider-Man. And, you know, as animated movies go, animated movies tend to be short, um, you know, tend to run about the 90-minute mark. Spider-Verse is quite long, the first one. I think it's actually about uh, 100, 100 minutes, 110 minutes. Um, so quite long. This movie is actually the longest animated film um, ever produced by an American studio. It's 140 minutes. Um, so it's over two hours long. Um and I think it's absolutely fantastic. I don't think a single moment is wasted. There is so much going on. And it does a lot of amazing things. Um, introduces a lot of new characters, a lot of great new concepts. But just like the first film, keeps its focus very much, very squarely on its main characters. In this, this instance, not just um, Miles Morales, who obviously gets further development but also a lot more focus on Hayley Steinfeld's um, Gwen Stacy, um, who was introduced in the previous film as well. Um, and obviously Shamik Moore, Hayley Steinfeld, uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, as well as you know uh, a couple of others like Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Karen Sony, who also do some brilliant um, vocal work in this. But yeah... Um, Hayley Steinfeld and Shamik Moore, they are anchoring this film, along with Oscar Isaac as uh, Miguel O'Hara. They are, are performing some of the most amazing performances um, and really anchoring the characters of Miles, Gwen and um, Miguel. Um, I'll come more to Miguel in a minute, uh, probably in the spoiler section, actually, because I'm going to do a little spoiler section for this. But yeah, Miles. This is this is Miles and Gwen's movie, and in fact, a lot of the time it does a bit of a balancing act between them. Like a lot of the first section of the movie, not necessarily the first act, but the first section is Gwen's part of the movie. We're going to see more of Gwen's world, um, her origin, her her backstory, in a way that we didn't really get in the first film. Um, and I think it works really, really well. Um, and obviously, we we saw some hints of it, like we saw some of what she'd lost, and you know her framing story. But actually, and obviously, if you're familiar with the comics, it's following the plot beats from that. Um, but if you're not familiar with the comics, if you're not familiar with who Spider Gwen is and what makes her different from the standard um, Gwen Stacy you know, what makes her stand out as the Spider-Woman of her universe, then, you know, you, you you might still be surprised. You might still find something to enjoy. It, it's a very interesting twist. And it's all quite early on in the movie with some some very clever shot choices, some very clever ways of framing the story and telling it across, which is true of the whole movie, to be fair. The movie is... Again, just like the first one, fantastically animated, a clash of um, differing animation styles, um, 
some of which can be a bit jarring in some sequences. Like, for example, um, Hobie Brown, the Spider-Punk. Um, some of his, when he's, he's kind of, as he's being animated, is kind of um, very reminiscent of sort of the, the punk rock album covers of, like, the Sex Pistols. Um, with kind of torn newspaper and, and and that sort of, you know, harsh pens. Um, and it makes it stand out, makes him pop, <clears throat> and gives him a very unique uh, visual flair, but it can be a bit hard, a bit jarring in some points. Um, same with the first villain that we see, um, who I'm not going to spoil. Um, but yeah, the way that particular villain is drawn because of the world that they come from is a bit bizarre. It makes them stand out to the others around them, whereas a lot of the others kind of blend in a bit better. Um, for example, Gwen and Miles blend in very well. However, there is a very different, def- a very definitive difference to being on Miles's world versus being on Gwen's world, and I think that's the difference in how this film is using the animation to tell its story. Like, uh, Gwen's world is very watercolour. There's a lot of subtle colours, subtle tones and shifts in the, the backgrounds, whereas Miles' is, is the more traditional animation that we had in the first film. And I think that works brilliantly. I think it really, really works. The actual plot for this... Um, you know, I don't want to go into it too much. I want, I, I tried to go into this completely blind, despite the fact I saw it quite late into its theatrical run, and I was aware of some things um, just due to pop culture osmosis, which some of you may already be aware of, but I'm not going to mention them. Um, you know, I was aware of some things and, and the idea of what they meant. And obviously I knew some of the characters that were going to be appearing in this. Like I knew that Spider-Punk was going to be appearing. Spider-Man India, Spider-Woman, Ben Riley. Um, you know, all these characters from the comics that I know. And, and I knew that they were going to appear. And that we might see these other worlds. But barring the first two trailers, I think I tried to stay pretty much as far away from any spoilers as I could. Um, and any that I did come across were fortunately quite minor. Um, you know, cameos and characters that appeared in the background. And I'm like, I'm fine with being spoiled on those. Like, it may not be a surprise to anyone that the PlayStation 5 costume from Spider-Man, the video game appears in the background of this, suggesting that that Spider-Man is in this game, is in this movie. Which is cool. That's awesome. <clears throat> but, you know, there's others that are a bit more spoiler. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to cover those. At least not here. If you want my thoughts about them, I'll give them a bit later in this episode. So, yeah, this was... This was a film I quite liked. It's it's anchored by the stories of Miles and Gwen, and most especially the their relationships with their supporting cast, especially their parents. Um, Miles's relationship with his parents is quite strained, um, 
and Gwen's relationship with her father is very strained. And into this, they come across a spider society formed by Miguel O'Hara, who got the post-credits tease at the end of the last movie. He's the Spider-Man of 2099. And Miguel has brought all these spiders together to, you know, sort of monitor the multiverse in a way. And what it means is that we can get more crossovers, more linking between the Spider-Verse characters. And obviously there's more to it than that. There's more twists into the storyline, but I don't want to go into that here. I want everyone out there to go in as blind as they can to this, because it is very good. And there's a lot more going on in this movie. Like, there is, uh, you know, if you've watched any of the trailers or TV spots, you might have also seen The Spot. You know, the the character that's full of holes, um, who seems to be encountering Miles in his own universe. You know, he's part of the plot as well. And I think that the, the biggest thing that I will be willing to spoil in this movie is two things. While it is very, very good... And it is. I think it's very good. I think it's a worthy sequel. I think it's worth a watch. I think it's got some great, a great message, some great storytelling, and a lot of amazing character focus. I do not think it is as good as the first one. At least not yet. <clears throat> and the reason I say at least not yet is twofold. One, this is only part one of this story. Across the Spider-Verse, for those who don't know, was originally going to be a much longer film. That film was then originally was then split into two, and it was going to be Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 and Part 2. This is now Across the Spider-Verse. Part 2 will release in the future and is going to be called Beyond the Spider-Verse. Now, originally it was going to release next year. However, some um, quite deplorable stories came out about um, crunch and overwork on the part of the animators and frankly they really upset me um, especially seeing how how beloved this film was becoming like people were raving about this film this film has made a lot of money um, you know it's been very successful made a lot more f uh, money and it got a lot more buzz than the first film um, you know, the first film was a bit more of a sleeper hit. It wasn't a huge hit in cinemas. Did very, very well critically, commercially. Then, of course, it won the Oscar and people started to pay more attention to it. In this case, this is a much more of a, a, a more immediate success. However, the, the stories that were coming out, apparently... Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, while storyboarding and coming up with ideas, would would they kind of riff and create different ideas, but they would introduce crunch onto the animators and the visual effects artists to almost kind of get scenes up to a finished quality before deciding whether those scenes were even in the, going to be in the final cut of the movie. Now, that's a lot of work to put on people. A lot of unnecessary work. And 
obviously they got a lot of blowback from it. You know, some of these some of these animators have spoken out of they've whistleblown about it anonymously and and pointed out that like based on the development that was going on, like this was being worked on pretty much to the wire, and as a result, there is no way that the second film has even started production to the point that it could release by March next year. However, we now have the SAG-AFTRA strike, the um, WGA strike, as well as now more and more unions starting to form. You know, uh, it was in the news today that the visual effects artists at Marvel are talking about unionizing or voting to unionize. Um, Animators at Cartoon Network have unionized now as well. So, yeah, the strikes is an evolving storyline, hence why the disclaimer is on this episode. And I'm glad, because it means that the film has now been indefinitely delayed. I am more than happy to wait as long as I need to for a sequel to this. I waited several years for the sequel to the original film. And it was worth every second of that wait. 2018, Into the Spider-Verse came out. 2023, Across the Spider-Verse came out. I am fine with waiting another five years if it means the movie is as good as this. Because, make no mistake, while this is only one half of the story, it is a fantastic film in its own right. It is, yes, it's chapter one, but it still tells a good story. And what it does is just leave a very, very good narrative hook for what comes next. You know, there are still conclusions to character arcs and emotional beats within this storyline. So it can stand on its own. However, if it stands on its own, it's not as good as the first one. And that's because I think it's missing one vital thing, which is that in the first film... The the pivotal sequence in the first film, for me, as I think I've explained before, is the Leap of Faith scene. It is perhaps the most finely crafted sequence in that film. Everything in that film feels like it has been building up and leading to that scene. And that scene is a turning point in Miles' journey, both visually, um, artistically, the way it's presented, the way it's shot, it is definitely a turning point. The issue is, nothing in this film has hit that high. And that is probably because, like I said, this is part one of a story. The Leap of Faith scene comes at the end of Act 2 in the first film. It's the end of Act 2, leaning into Act 3. If you look at Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse as a three-act structure, this is halfway through Act 2. This is the midpoint where this ends. As a result, we haven't had the this film's equivalent of the Leap of Faith scene. Now, I could see what they could possibly be building towards, and I'd be very interested in seeing it when it arrives. But that, to me, is why this film does not exceed the first one. Because it's half the story, and 
what we have is not quite re reaching the pinnacle of what we had before. However, I do not want that to turn anyone away from this film. This is a good film. There is a lot of very good stuff here. And as I said, there are emotional and character beats that conclude in this film. There's definitely a narrative hook for a sequel. And obviously some emotional beats that will continue. And some things that are still completely unresolved. But there's also a lot that's already there. And I have every confidence that now that this film has been delayed, it will have enough time to put this together and stick the landing. So yeah, whether you choose to see Across the Spider-Verse now, whether you choose to see it just before Beyond the Spider-Verse for the first time, or however you choose to watch it, I think if you enjoyed the first film, if you enjoy Spider-Man, even if you're getting tired of the idea of multiverse stories, although Spider-Verse was one of the first I saw, I remember seeing in films, um, and, you know, the Spider-Verse films have handled the concept better than anything else I've seen, except for maybe everything, everywhere, all at once. So, you know, if you want to see a good use of a multiverse concept, and you want to see it done very, very well, and being interesting and rewarding to watch, I don't think you can do wrong by watching this film. So that's all I'm going to say without talking spoilers. This I, I highly, highly recommend this film. I think that just like the first one, it is fantastic. But just be aware that it's not the end of the story. There is more to come. So, because some people have been very disappointed about that. I'm very vocally disappointed. And I'm interested to see the success that the sequel has as a result. Because... This film is good, but if they stick the landing on the sequel, the two of them together have the potential to be nothing short of incredible as a complete narrative. Like, better than Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, better than, um, you know, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, you know, up there with, like, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy as, like, a, this strong, combined cinematic experience. Telling one long, concise, incredibly um, sophisticated story. And that's, that's not me trying to exaggerate. That's seriously the potential I think we could have here. You know, a superhero Lord of the Rings. You know, it's a bold claim to make, but if they stick the landing, yeah, it's possible. If they don't stick the landing, though, oh boy. But fingers crossed, because there's a lot of great potential here. So, if you're still listening to this podcast, I am assuming that you are ready for me to discuss some of my thoughts on some of the most spoilery aspects of Across the Spider-Verse. 
so I'm hoping you have seen the film. Um, if not, pause it, come back to this later on. But across the Spider-Verse, spoilers. Um, there was a lot to like in this. I kind of want to go back and watch the first one now, now that I know who the spot is and see if I can pick him out in the previous movie. Obviously, we know he gets hit with the bagel at some point, so that's quite funny. Um, there's also, like I said, the multiple different animation styles in this. Um, the Renaissance Vulture was the one I was referring to earlier. That was pretty impressive. It was it was jarring at some points, but it was impressive. And the standout between that and some of the others, and then obviously then when you get the live-action characters like um, Donald Glover there as the Prowler, which is actually the MCU version of the Prowler, apparently. They confirmed that. So that is his character from Spider-Man Homecoming in the Prowler outfit. It's confirming that that version of Aaron Davis is Miles' uncle. Um, yeah, that was cool. I'm not sure how I feel about Miguel being an actual vampire and Miguel being the villain. Um, because Miguel is definitely the villain in this. And then having characters like Jess and Ben Riley on his side oh, doesn't quite sit right with me. I mean, I know I need to read more Spider Man 2099, but I don't remember Miguel being such a dick. Um, you know, yeah, Miguel didn't irritate me as much before. I'm not sure why they felt in this movie that they had to correct the the Earth 616 to Earth 1999-99 from um, what the MCU is referred to in the official handbook um, when it's clear that the, the MCU is trying to be Earth 616, because, I mean, Earth 1610 in this, which is Miles' reality, that's not the Earth 1610 of the comics. So why does this Earth 616 have to be the Earth 616 of the comics? You know, or, or why, why can't Earth 616 as the MCU not be the same? But, yeah, that's a, a different discussion, I think. Um... Just a, that that that's me worrying about fanboy minutia. Like, hard, who else cares about that except for like Iman Villani, <laughs> who apparently argues with Kevin Feige about this on a regular basis because she's a Reddit kid, which I think is hilarious. Um, stuff with Gwen, like I said, was incredible. The whole opening with Gwen, I I really liked, and then the bit where she goes back to her home universe and encounters her father, and then obviously her discussion with Rio and Jefferson. So good. Um, Rio especially is great in this. You know, the for anyone who's read the ultimate line of comics, um, you know, Rio potentially dies. You know, I think she died in the original Ultimate run. But then when Miles came over to the MC, to the main Marvel comic universe, I think she was alive again. But yeah, um, I kind of hope that doesn't happen here. 
The introduction of the canon events. Now, that is an interesting one. Um, as is the whole Spider Society in general. It does feel like a lot of them are just Peter Parker wearing alternate costumes that he's worn throughout the years. Although I did recognize some that were official, like, alternate reality versions of Spider-Man that we've seen in different um, iterations. Like the one that Miles is clinging to his back. He was one that was in the original Spider-Verse comics. Um the version of Spider-Man India that we get in this, or the version of Spider-Punk that we get in this, they're not quite the same ones as the comics, but they are very similar as well. So that was quite cool. Um, and obviously Peter B having Mayday. Mayday was adorable. She was so fun. She had some really great like animated moments um, that were a lot of, a lot of fun. Um but yeah, the what they've set up for this has a lot of potential. Like Spot being the main villain, uh, Miles accidentally ending up in the Earth Forty Two universe, and how um, in that universe Miles himself is the Prowler, and Jefferson is dead. That that was a good twist. Uh, one I could kind of see coming. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like I, you know, I saw the 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 thing on the go home machine that said that he was going to, um, Earth forty two, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one. So realizing that that's where he was, that was, you know, I, I saw that coming. <laughs> I wasn't as surprised about that as some other people in the cinema when I watched it. Um. But it was good. There were also so many great, great references in this. Like, and I mean, not just the archive footage or the live action um, guest stars, like um, Mrs. Chen from uh, the Venom movies, who has like a brief live action cameo. That was quite fun. Um, you know, and the official designation of that as Earth 688, which I thought was pretty cool. Um you know that was that was good. That was interesting, and seeing Toby and Andrew again um, in their roles as Spider Man, along with you know even if it's just archive footage, was still pretty cool. Um, and obviously some of the, just some of the background references were really fun. Like there's Video Man from the old Spider Man and the Amazing Friends series, who was like an X Men villain that they had in like one episode, um, or. Uh, you know, the, the the Lego that's actually been animated by a kid, like a 14-year-old kid who was making animated Lego online, he, he animated that, which I think is really cool. It's like, oh, by the way, kid, you animate Lego real good. You want to be in our movie? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's cool stuff. I like that. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and getting... You know, th that was good. And then the villains and then some of the background characters. Like, the spectacular Spider-Man from the series, played by Josh Keaton, is in this. As well as the, the uber-dramatic version of Ben Riley, played by Andy Samberg, who really made me laugh. Because as much as I love the character of Ben Riley, yeah, he's he's so 90s angst. <laughs> and it's very, very funny. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. 
a lot of fun. There was a lot of great moments, and I'm very excited to see where it goes next because there is a lot of great potential here. You know, Jeff could Jefferson could potentially die. You know, and Miles might not be able to save him. I hope Miles can save him, but. It's Spider-Man, you know, the luck of a Spider-Man character and saving the people close to them. You know, um, Gwen, you know, what's going to happen with Gwen Miles, you know, and what could happen there? The fact that Gwen's gathered this group to kind of hunt Miles and bring him down, uh, sorry, bring him back while also keeping him safe from um, Miguel's group. I mean, Miguel's group, the whole, the canon event thing, the thing I struggle with is I can't see many of the spiders going along with that. That's the problem that I have with it. It feels so antithetical to a lot of Spider-Man that he's trying to enforce these canon events. Like, I can see some of the characters going along with it. But, like, Peter B., for example, who is basically supposed to be almost like a comic version of Peter Parker. The whole... The thing that I like about the character of Spider-Man, um, specifically Peter Parker, is Peter has been through a lot of bad stuff. Like, he describes it as the old Parker luck. You know, he loses people close to him. He's lost Uncle Ben. He's lost Captain Stacy. You know, he's lost Aunt May a couple of times. He's lost Gwen Stacy herself as well. He's He's lost so much. But he keeps trying anyway. He keeps trying to do the right thing and keeps trying to save other people to prevent the things that happen to him from happening to other people. Like, this feels like this was a core part of No Way Home, which wasn't that much long long ago. Wasn't that long ago before this. But... I can't see those versions of Peter going along with this, going along with Miguel's idea in this, which is probably why they're not here. Because... If a Peter Parker saw another version of himself who could have Uncle Ben still alive or could still have Gwen Stacy he would try to help them. He wouldn't allow their deaths to happen. You know? Or at least I would hope not. And that's that's something that that is bugging me in this. And I'm, I'm interested to see how it resolves itself in the following movie, because... I don't want Miguel and his Spider Society to be the villains 
But at the moment, they are the closest thing to villains in this. They're the, they're the big villain of this narrative. Rather than the Spot, who's more in the background. Rather than the Miles version of the Prowler, who's definitely going to be an antagonist, but doesn't feel quite like a villain yet. So, yeah, I'm a bit nervous about that. I'm very intrigued, though, um, to see how it resolves itself. And I wonder if that's... You know, were it not for the fact that so many of the spiders were there when this was being revealed to Miles, I'd wonder just how many of them actually knew about it. But then the fact that so many of the ones that are there are ones that we've seen elsewhere... That makes it harder to buy into. Like, the fact it's, you know, the Insomniac version of Spider-Man, the spectacular cartoons version of Spider-Man. Even Penny from the previous movie, that Penny's there, um, going along with this. That makes it harder. And Peter, and, and that's without even getting to Peter B, who clearly feels guilty about it. But it doesn't feel right. Like, oh. I suppose the only way I can argue against it is that the disruption of the canon event seems to do something to destabilize reality. Um, you know, because that seems to be what happens to uh, Pavita's timeline. You know, Miles saves Captain Singh. And. As a result, Pavita's homeworld, you know, Mumbatan, starts to fall apart. Like, this this giant hole appears, like, almost starting to suck up the world. You know, and it's... You know, is it right to allow certain people to die and certain characters to have large amounts of suffering to spare... The universe. I suppose it's the trolley problem, isn't it? All over again. <sighs> but I can see why certain people rebel against it. Like Miles. And especially Hobie. Oh my god, Hobie is my favourite character in this. By far, every line he says had to be flawed. <laughs> it's like every line that comes out of his mouth is gold. Um... Like what he says to May, uh, May Day about taking a crap on the establishment. Love that. Um, and then the way he just like quits. And it's just a peace out, mic drop moment. Oh, so good. So smooth. I hope he gets a lot more to do in the sequel. Um, so yeah. I don't know. There's... I don't have any problems with the film. Like, I just have questions. There, there's there's things that I'm just questioning and struggling with, but because it is only half the story, I'm willing to wait until I have the whole story to get the answers. And that's my view on it. It's like, yes, give me the answers and I'll be happy. But at the minute, I have a lot of questions. A lot of questions. A lot of... 
concern for where some things are going to go. But provided we get those answers and that closure, I'm willing to give the story the benefit of the doubt for now. So, yeah. That's my thoughts on Spider-Verse. I'm really looking forward to it being on streaming properly. Um, hopefully on a service that I have so that I can watch it again. If not, I will be rushing out and buying that Blu-ray and watching as many deleted scenes as are on it and, and everything else because I am really, really looking forward to watching it again. It's so good. So good. There's so much subtle stuff in this. And I just want to study it frame by frame and watch it again. Even, oh, like the whole, th and so, so many parts are just lovely. Like Gwen's room having the protect trans kids on the flag. Loved it. Absolutely adored it. You know, this has got people debating whether Gwen is trans online. If she is or she isn't, I don't care. I just think it's great whether she is trans herself or whether she's just an ally. Don't care. Either one's perfect. And I'm happy with either of them as representation. You know. You know, I want to sit down and watch it with my trans kids and see what they I what they get from that character. <laughs> you know, what message they get from that character as a result. <sighs> But yeah, um, it was good. I also liked how in the first movie, I don't know if the first movie divides as well as this one does, but I remember thinking while watching this one that each time a new comic cover slapped down, that felt almost like we were getting a new issue of a storyline in the comic book. Like one of these ongoing like crossover event stories where it's like you get a new chapter every month. Because that's how it felt to me whenever one of these new issues slapped down. Um, you know, even with the final one, which is the Prowler, and it's like, because that's only like the last 10, 15 minutes of the film, if that. Like, the Prowler comic slaps down, and then there's like two or three scenes left. A couple of them are quite long scenes, but there's only two or three scenes left. Um, so yeah, the ones earlier on that slapped down felt almost like a chapter of a story. Like they all had a hook at the end to keep you going into the next one. It's fantastic. And, you know, again, I, I, I can't remember if the first one divides as well as that. I think it does. And it would make it brilliant to watch as like, to watch all three films as like a mini series at the end, like watch like one chapter a night. <laughs> so yeah, you know the film's only just come out. I'm already thinking of ways to remix it in the future. <clears throat> but yeah, it was good. It is. It's a good film. There's a lot to like, and there's a lot to look forward to. The whole idea of Spot beginning his attack, Gwen assembling her team to try and find Miles, getting the return of Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Ham in the next one. 
and you know i was promised the japanese spider-man is coming into this at some point that one has a giant robot so i'm expecting to see a giant leopard robot fighting a load of spider-men at some point i'm just saying and yeah i want to see miguel taking down a peg and i want to see what's going on with spot because there's a lot going on here and a lot of a lot of great potential and speaking of great potential i am so intrigued as to whether this is going to tie in to what is going on in the mcu because the fact the mcu has said that they are going to be introducing the character of the beyonder who is a key part of secret wars and this is called beyond the spider-verse and we've seen that the spot can now cross into the multiverse and we've seen that live action characters can end up in the animated universe i really hope that this all combines somewhere down the line but that's just my inner nerd like i kind of wanted to stay as its own thing because Spider-Verse is good and its its multiverse rules don't seem to follow the MCU as one. But at the same time, like if it did all come together, I mean, come on, it's all right there. Waiting to be to be grasped, even just for a cameo in Secret Wars or something. Like just have this version of Miles just swing in the background. Keep him animated as well. Don't even make him live action. Just keep him animated. Although Shamit Moore has said he's more than willing to get into shape. And I'm like, having seen the recent Star Trek episode where they brought two of their like animated characters into live action for the first time. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. But yeah. It's good. I recommend watching it. So yeah. If you stuck with that, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on it. Did you think it was better than the first one? Did you prefer the first one to this? Are you excited for the third one? Are you Were you angry when it ended on that cliffhanger? Um, let me know in all the usual places. And until next time, you all look after yourselves. You take the best of care of yourselves. Love you all. Until next time, my friends. Thank you, my friends, for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me, and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast, we have a Discord community, small but growing, and... And we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves.